Welcome to Grace 360, a vibrant discussion on issues of diversity that we hope is engaging, biblical, and slightly entertaining. The goal of these podcasts is create a healthy, honest, and helpful discussion for Christian educators, parents, and students from a biblical perspective on current cultural issues relating to diversity. Diversity, for our purposes, is related to the acrostic GRACE. That's grace with two A's, gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. But we don't have all the answers. We hope our discussion is thought-provoking and helpful. Welcome to Grace 360. Well, welcome back. We want to continue the discussion of curriculum and classroom instruction. We felt like there were some topics that we did not address. As we look at our acrostic of grace, when we look at gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status, we wanted to hit on some more topics. And I think one of the questions that we wanted to talk about was age. What is the appropriate age level to introduce some topics? What does a classroom look like if we have a diversity of students? How do we create a social and emotional well-being classroom for all of our students and so I think we'll start maybe with that area well I could speak to middle school Um, I get to teach six uh, through eighth graders and I think one of the things that's really cool about that age I would say I like middle schoolers right there they're kind of you know more mature than the the elementary school kids you can kind of get into some depth but then they remind you that you know they're not adults from time to time but With that being said, having those conversations um, actually ends up being, I feel like they end up being more honest. Um, They're more, their their viewpoints are are innocent, but they are beginning to formulate a viewpoint. And so you can catch it fresh. I've always said, I think that that middle school age is such a time where students are so moldable. Um, And so we actually, you know, a conversation came up in class. We were talking about how people had moved around just from various different reasons from one place to another and how people you know originally became immigrants into our country but it all started from a conversation we had in the bible and talking about how the jews were dispersed after babylon took over and they went into all these different places and we're talking about how you know within the roman empire there were certain privileges that were given to citizens that weren't given to those who were not and the importance of that discussion. And from that, the discussion of citizenship today naturally came up. And I just started getting question after question after question and was able to frame all of that from a biblical perspective without having to get into maybe some of the messy politics of it. But I felt like because it was fueled by their questions, it let me know that, hey, they're already thinking about these things and they're trying to formulate opinions about it. But they also are at a place where they're still willing to accept new information. And so I think that there there are ways that you can strategically integrate those kinds of conversations from a biblical perspective that allows you to help guide the students in their thinking without necessarily telling them what to think. And I think that helps to instill more convictions in their learning. I would think it'd be more challenging in a lower school area or level, the sweet innocence of children, the kindergartner or the kindergarten teacher that holds up a picture of Dr. King and asks, does anyone know who this is? And you have a, a, one of the students raise their hand and, and mention the name of a prominent preacher in the United States. And she thought that was rather curious and interesting. And she asked the little one, well, what made you think that that was the preacher that you mentioned? 
And the little kindergartner responded, because he's wearing a suit and a tie. But it's something that, it's got to be steeped in prayer, no matter what age level we're in. And I agree with Tamarcus. I think it's, it's more organic. And maybe it's because I'm more exposed to the middle school and the high school. I think it's just more organic on our level. I know in high school, it allows me to not have to pull punches in class. And it's very important that we have established a relationship and that we have had community norms that have been established. And we can maybe talk about what those are along the way. But we don't pull punches. We don't have to pull punches, especially in the high school classroom. So it allows us to to have those difficult conversations. Why was it that a beloved musician that we all know as Louis Satchmo Armstrong was able to pull off a record that was entitled Black and Blue? where the title was actually, Why Am I So Black and Blue? And it's a beautiful song. The melody is absolutely gorgeous, but when you stop and you listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh my word, what he's saying. You know, or allows a Billie Holiday to pull off recording Strange Fruit and to sing it in front of a, an audience in the South during a time of segregation when lynchings weren't out of the norm. So relationship is very important and creating that safe classroom environment is very important as well. Because in the middle school, you're gonna get some of it. In the high school, you're gonna maybe get a little bit more of it. Although being in a Christian school environment, we typically have students that tend to be more respectful. So they might think things and not let it out of their mouth, but some of them are gonna give you some pushback. But it enriches our classroom. It enriches what we do, not just curriculum wise, but classroom instruction wise because we get to start modeling what these young people are going to have to exercise and employ when they leave this, the hallowed halls of our schools and the safety of our school environment. Right. I wanted to backtrack on something you said. You said that you have to establish community norms in your classroom. And I know that's a, that's a phrase that we throw around a lot. You mind giving a little preface? What do you, what do you mean by community norms? Uh, yeah, this is something that comes from Hester Radstake, and Yvonne Lehman, and they developed basically five steps that are skills that are needed and necessary when you have these intercultural dialogues and discussions, which can get pretty sticky in a classroom. Um, So the first one is to establish order and create those community norms. This is what is acceptable and this is what is not acceptable. And that may, in our classrooms, include verbiage that may and may not be used. I'm pretty clear in my classroom. These are the non-negotiables. You do not cross these lines. So that's the first step. The second step is relationship is based on trust and proximity. We have to hang out with one another to get to know one another. You know, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. The only way I get to know God is by spending time with God. So we have to create those relationships based on trust and proximity. And that's not just pupil to pupil, but pupil to teacher and teacher to pupil. And I get to model that first. Third step is teachers must be well-informed on the subject of the lesson. And that means I've got to be willing to do my homework. And it also means that I have to be willing to think about it from the different angles and perspectives that my students might come at it. And I think it also means that you have to be willing to say, I don't know. Let me come back. Yes. (laughs) Right. We have to be willing. Yes. Because we don't know everything and we're going to make mistakes. And that's the scariest thing. Because a lot of teachers were control freaks. And we don't want anything that we're not expecting to happen in class. So it's important that we recognize going in that. I mean, but let's be honest. In the area of diversity, mm-hmm. making a mistake may cost you a job. 
we've seen this before, right, where somebody has crossed a line. The whole idea of establishing relationships, one of the things is, you know, you've been teaching for how many years, Cindy? A lot of. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Actually, I did the math. I think I did the math yesterday. 30 years. Okay. Yes. I think this is my 30th year, young. but I'm not good at math, so that could be way old. wrong. But one of the things is, so your, your relationship here, right, but I mean, each year you get a new group of students, too. Mm-hmm. And some of those students don't know you. They don't mm-hmm. know who you are. They don't know anything about you. And so sometimes that student is going to take right, what you say, and maybe they don't take it in the best light, right? And so I think that's one of the areas dealing with diversity. Um, I remember hearing a story about a teacher that dealt with the Washington Redskins, remember when the team wanted to change its names, and, you know, he had said something that was, you know, inappropriate. And it's just that idea of, you know, sometimes we don't know where is that line of what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and we're just trying to be honest and have dialogue, and all of a sudden somebody can be tremendously offended by something that we say and we don't even realize that or know that and so I think that's that's when we when we talk about this in the classroom you know we have to create I think the ability to be able to work with parents work with administration work with teachers and say we all need to understand right how to be gracious in these areas but we also need to be aware Right. We need to be aware that, you know, as, as times change and as cultures change, that if my grandfather walked into a room and he just started calling people by things that I heard him call people when I was young, I'd be like, oh, we don't, we don't use those words anymore, mm-hmm. right? And I think we need, to, we need to understand that we can change with the times and we can understand that, that we have learning to do in a school environment because we have students that we're trying to teach, right? We don't want to offend and we don't want to turn them off and we don't want to say things that, that immediately have them think, this person has no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea who they're talking to, right? And I think that's an important aspect where as, you know, when they're younger, I think they actually give a little bit more grace because they can kind of go over their heads. But when they're in high school, kids are listening to what you say and they're evaluating what you're what you're communicating. And that's important. Absolutely. And I think there is wisdom in a slow response. I, I love what you said, you know, being able to say, hey, I don't, I don't know. Let me get back to you. I've personally pulled that card multiple times just in a few years of of teaching and I think it's something that I'll just go out and say like I think even just for believers like that that is just a a good thing that we need to feel comfortable with um is that you know I get in conversation with people all the time and we we have to be able to tell them you know what I don't know whether man that's a really good question let me get back to you because one my whole job is not wrapped up in that one experience right i know that god's word is true and i know there's truth to speak into this thing and you know serious questions you know ought to be taken seriously and with something that's sensitive shooting from the hip just would not be a good strategy and so i think taking that time you know if if maybe there's a conversation that sparks up in class and it takes standing up say hey guys that was a great question that's brought up or i'm glad you guys are thinking about that this isn't the time right now or hey you know let's pick back up on that tomorrow or, hey why don't we go and do this and just kind of rile that in because sometimes it may not necessarily just be the teacher it may be you know with the students and it just starts to get out of hand but that's where you as a teacher has to step in and I have a responsibility to manage the room and to make sure that I'm making sure that everyone is in a safe environment where they can continue to learn and share and feel comfortable um, and not targeted or threatened. Yeah, absolutely. I can't ever, when when something like that comes up in any of our classrooms, we as teachers cannot be disengaged. We have to stay on task continually. Relationship is important. 
I would assume that most teachers have the luxury of knowing that this topic is going to come up because of what they've prepared for that particular unit. You can prep the parents by sending home a letter, as we tend to do when we're going to hit those hard topics. After all, parents are part of the educational process, so let's invite them in. Let's send home a letter explaining what we're going to be talking about, give them resources where parents can learn as well, and they maybe even give them prompts where they can bring the conversation up at home. That's one possibility. Another one is that we assume best intentions. Because we have created relationship with one another and we recognize that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, I if something comes out of your mouth, I need to be slow to speak and quick to listen and say, okay, what I'm hearing you say is this, is, is that what you're actually saying? Is Did I understand that correctly? Yeah. We often um, say that's your intention doesn't always equal your impact. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's an excellent way of, of wording that. That's what Jenny often says. Yes. Okay, I've heard so her say that. I want to go twice. back though, because we were talking about just, you mentioned the parents are part of the educational process, mm-hmm. right? But they're also part of our learning process. Yes. Um, because what happens in the classroom goes home. Yes. Right. And sometimes the student doesn't communicate to you as a teacher, here's what you said, here's what I thought, but they go home and they'll talk to their parents. And so I was really impressed a number of years ago, Jenny started focus groups, right, with our parents. So parents of different ethnic backgrounds, right, would come in and Jenny would talk to them and just say, hey, listen, you know, as a group uh, in our particular school, right, how are you being perceived? How are you being received? Tell us what we need to know in the learning environment. I think, Jenny, you've learned a lot through those conversations with those parents. Yeah, I think that not only does it take us that we have to say, I don't know, let me get back to you, but also when we are confronted with something that we are doing incorrectly, we have to have the humility to say, I'm sorry, and let me learn and not automatically get defensive. And I think that there are many things that we've learned from those focus groups. One is, is that I was doing a hallway walk in our lower school. And um, on the bulletin boards, I just noticed that all the bulletin boards were filled with cutouts of children, but they were all the same color. And if any student had wanted to change the color of their skin, they would have had to color it in. They would have had to change the, the cutout somehow. And so all we did was take a picture of one of the bulletin boards, sent it to the principal, and asked, you know, is there anything that we you see missing? from this. She automatically caught on. She automatically said, I can't believe I haven't seen this before. She now purchases construction paper of all different shades of skin color, cuts them out, lets the kids choose which skin color they want to be. They have markers and crayons provided in the lower school. And I think that that just creates an environment where we're willing to learn and we're willing to be held accountable in what we're doing. And so I think our focus groups have helped with that and that we've learned how to listen well, but that we've also learned how to Um, take that information and apply it in different ways. So one of the things we often talk about with curriculum and with classroom instruction is that danger of a single narrative. Would someone like to explain what the single narrative is? Um, I do. This is a, this was a huge one for me, mostly because, you know, like I said, I grew up in Garland. I went to public school. I was not in private school settings, but even still, I just remember, you know, as I've gotten older and gotten into education, there are so many things that I've had to either unlearn or teach myself because I didn't realize how much I had only received one point of view um, in the messaging. And I, you know, I I think about this even personally as a as a teacher. I've, you know, been been confronted by by one of my students. You know, I'm teaching my first year teaching going through history class and you know I'm just trying to you know keep my head above water 
and we're teaching through it, teaching through it. And, and one day, one of my students raises her hand and she says, you know, when are we, when are we going to learn about something that women did in, in history? And I had to pause and, and be like, you know what? We haven't, you know, talked about one woman this whole time. Um, and that was an opportunity for me to go in and, you know, I had to be intentional. Now, obviously, like, I didn't mean that, but it just that lack of a story with what that student was communicating to me. And as we had that conversation, right, she wasn't able to see herself in the narrative of what of what I was teaching. And she was she was getting a singular viewpoint of this, you know, just over masculine uh, history that wasn't really true to what to what we were handling. And so we had to deal with that. Um, and that that's one side of it. But the other side of that of that narrative is what it can do um, to the individual. Right. So if I'm constantly being given a story about a particular group of people and every time I hear this, you know, this person referenced, you know, it's in a certain light when I'm run into somebody of that culture, I run into somebody um, that, quote unquote, fits that mold. What I actually end up doing is I block them. Or I rob them from the opportunity to be an individual and teach me who they are. And I go in with these preconceived notions of, you know, oh, I, I kind of already got you figured out. You you basically are like this. Right. And it's like, well, no, no, I'm not. You know, I'm I'm my own person. And so I think we have to be really, really careful with that. And I think we have to be careful because when you look at our society as a whole, um, speaking as a white woman, I can say that what I say and who I represent is myself. And that's it. No one else expects me to speak for all white women. But there are within groups, If I, to Marcus, if I'm talking to you, sometimes I'm expecting you to represent all black males. And and we have to be really careful in our dialogue of that, that when I'm talking to you, I got to realize you're to Marcus. You don't represent all black males. And so when you give me your opinion, it's not necessarily the opinion of someone else who's an African-American male. And so I think that it's really important that we understand that even in how we um, interact with each other. And the message that it sends to our students when someone in a position of authority does not recognize that you are sitting there, when you never see yourself in the classroom, it's like standing in front of a mirror and seeing nothing in return. And that sends a message, you know, to that little girl who loves science but has never heard that a woman can be a scientist. And we've all heard of, of someone like Marie Curie. Right. But what about those other women that we rarely hear of, you know, who helped in the world of science? You know, Watson and Crick figuring out DNA because of the efforts of a woman who was a chemist who figured out how to X-ray certain things that nobody had ever figured out how to X-ray before. Right. And I'm purposely leaving her name out so that y'all can go Google it. There you go. Um, but, what, that's, but what you're not saying, because I, I think this is part of the conversation, Cindy, is is the oh, so what we have to do is we have to eliminate white males from the conversation. And and what we're not saying is, right, that's not what we're, ta we're no, talking about. No, absolutely What we're saying not. is there is a broader story. Yes. Right? So there there are some uh, white men in history, mm -hmm. right, that have done remarkable things. Absolutely. Right? There are some women, right, some African-American men. There are some, um, you know, Hispanic. There, there are people of all different walks and different, you know, that, that our kids need to know about. Absolutely. And we need to do the work of, of making sure that those students who are sitting in our classrooms have a broader narrative. Right. And I think even if they're all just white, white kids in your classroom, they need to have a broader narrative. Absolutely, right? because we can all connect with the universals. You know, think of someone history, and, and I'm going to camp out in history because that tends to, that's where I, I spend most of my day. But think of an individual in history that no one expected anything out of and achieved something great. I can guarantee that I have a kid 
sitting in my room that no one expects anything out of, but because this particular individual came up in class, all of a sudden they can draw inspiration from them. And that's one of the beautiful things about the subjects that we get to teach to Marcus is that it provides encouragement. The only perfect person we talk about in history class is Jesus. Everyone else is a sinner. We see both greatness and not so great. When you talked about the context, well, we have to deal with the context of these individuals. We do have to look at these people in the context in which they were raised. When you mentioned a grandparent coming in and using vernacular that we just would not use today because it is totally unacceptable. Yes, we have to understand in context, in their time, that was acceptable. But that context and understanding context doesn't excuse it because the absolutes of scripture do not change. And the only way, and that's why we as believers, we actually have the true picture of diversity if we keep it grounded in scripture. We don't know that a line is crooked until we measure it against a straight line, and the straight plumb line is scripture. And I so no, it's not a hater thing. I'm sorry, Jenny. No, 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 I'm um, so sorry for it's not. We're not hating on white men or any particular group. We're enriching that picture we're showing the crayon box in all of its beauty. And I think that's one of the reasons that for us, for our curriculum, one of the things we've done is when we when we hit topics, when we hit units, um, we provide our faculty and staff with the grace acrostic and say, who are you touching in all these areas so that the kids are able to see the diversity of what God has done? I just had an epiphany. Oh. <laughs> um, like God is so intentional about doing this in the gospels. Like, you see grace in every level of the people that you see Jesus touching, and particularly those that do incredible things. I mean, you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan woman, the centurion servant, the Seraphonician. Like, you look at all of these people who Jesus encountered, right, the the man who was lame or those who were blind, or when he tells the, the parable of the Jew who gives a lot of money and is really boastful versus, you know, the, the, yeah, the widow who goes, hey, hey, she gives all she has, even though it's little. Like you see him just completely flipping the narrative of poverty, of gender, of cultural background, of all of these experiences. And he constantly is making those individuals, the, you know, the, the, the like subhero of these many stories. And all the while, putting together and trying to weave and shape a mindset of, hey, guys, I came for everybody. When we talk about John 3.16, like he means that. And he intentionally in the way he lived his life showed his care for all of from people from all different walks of life. Man, that just excited me. Yeah. And we see that even in the Old Testament. Ruth, she's a foreigner. Yeah. Rahab. And, uh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, let's not go there. Ooh. <laughs> You're scared. You know, so it, it, it is. It, I love that epiphany to Marcus. That was excellent. I love the way you brought that in. I mean, because we do see it throughout Scripture. Why do we limit God? Exactly. And it's something about pointing that out and, and knowing that it gives back that person's dignity, right? When I encounter somebody and I allow them you know, the opportunity to be human and to teach me about themselves and to respect them as an individual, there's a level of dignity that comes with that. And I think that allows for a relationship to happen. And to me, that's really what we're trying to get at in this whole diversity thing, right? Is that I want to be able to have fellowship with my fellow man. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that dignity comes because we are all created in the image of God. In other words, the dignity that Ruth has is not because of who Ruth is. 
Now, we're not going to ignore who Ruth is, but it's because of who God is. Yes. Now, we were talking classroom instruction, but at, before when we were just chatting, um, Jenny had mentioned a math teacher um, that has, has been part of a lot of our conversations about diversity. And you're thinking, OK, so, you know, in the classroom, there's there's areas of diversity, but obviously within math. Right. This math teacher's, you know, teaching math. Um, really? But she had. Yes. Two plus two is still four, even <laughs> in diversity issues. Um, but but one of the things that, that she had mentioned to Jenny was just how these diversity conversations have really changed her and the way that she's looking at things. So, Jenny, tell, tell us a little bit about what this teacher told you. Yeah, well, it was it was very interesting as she was we were discussing diversity and she was talking about how it doesn't necessarily affect what she teaches, but it does affect how she teaches because it affects her in the fact that she's listening more to her students. She's seeing the diversity that they represent and she's coming alongside them more. But not only in the classroom, it's also affecting how she sees life when she watches the news, when she reads books. It's giving her different perspectives. And yes, those all do affect the classroom, but they affect her life as a whole. And it's beautiful. But that was in particular to the racial diversity. I do think that in any classroom, there are other areas of diversity that are effective, and one of them is economic diversity. There is, if you are going to diversify your school economically, as we have, you are going to have students who can't afford the various things that come alongside with Christian schools. So we know that Christian schools tuition isn't the only cost that there is. So if you have students who qualify for, say, the federal free and reduced lunches, how are you going to provide for the project costs? What are you going to do for if you go on retreats? What are you going to do if you go on trips? How are you going to make sure those students have exactly what they need to feel part of that community and not like they're someone separate? So I think that's something that you have to wrestle with as well, including technology. I know that at our school, our technology is included in our tuition, so it's included in our financial aid, but some schools have it on the side. And so are certain students given an advantage because they can afford the technology while others aren't? And so that's one of the areas that has to be wrestled with as well. Which I think you've done a great job by just setting up the diversity where we have the liaisons and that's one person in every division that the teachers have the ability to go to and say, we have this project coming up and this is what we think on average it's going to cost. Because one of the, some of those students sitting in the classroom, if we have diversified economically, mom and dad might not be able to afford that, that run to Walmart for all the supplies. Um, when we, you know, it allows us to look at, at events such as homecoming. Um, and I don't know if you all want to go there or not at this moment, but when we talk about homecoming at, at, at the institution where we work, homecoming is a huge deal. I mean, it is massive. Every day has a theme. And Don't we have something like mums or something like that? Yeah, and oh, let's Texas not even go mums. to the, yeah. <laughs> Research that one too. Google that one. I, um, I think I think this is probably better saved for another program. Oh, Dan, you're but, stealing our thunder. But, but there there is a lot to talk about um, from the economic diversity that that really would constitute its own program because it's a it is a big deal when we're talking about diversity to really take that into consideration for our families. Dan, can I throw one other piece in there? Not to go deeper in that because I do think that could be a podcast. But I just want to say, even thinking about parents. I know some of the meetings or meet and greet times that we even have for where parents can interact with teachers. And I'm like, you know, I think my both of my parents were working. We didn't have no one would stay home. And I'm like, they could never get off during those times of the day in order to make, you know, some of the things that we do. So I think even being conscious of that dynamic as well and, and parent involvement, it may not necessarily be that the parent doesn't care. It's just, you know, financially, I can't 
make that that cut. Yeah, so I think there are many things to consider within the classroom instruction with diversity, but I think that we all believe that as we consider these these efforts and these um, areas that we need to really dive deeper into, that it makes us better as people. It doesn't just affect our classroom, it affects us personally and how we interact with everybody. So we hope you come alongside for the next podcast, and we're excited to continue this dialogue. Thank you for listening to Grace 360 with two A's. As always, the views and opinions expressed in the podcast are for educational purposes and are not intended to be divisive or inflammatory in nature. We hope you listened and learned as much as we have in the process of producing the show and pray you'll join us for our next episode. And as always, you can find us on social media at Grace 360. That's G-R-A-A-C-E 360.